get me? From Studio P in Sausalito, the home of the hit, it's time for... Sucker Time. The number one award-seeking comedy podcast about comedy. Podcast. And here's your host, internationally recognized comedy podcast podcaster, Mark Hershaw. Yes, it's me, Mark Hershon, your host and cruise director for Epi 112 of Succotash, the comedy podcast podcast. This is a Succotash Chats episode featuring a delightful conversation with our special guests, Phil Lairness, co-host of the Chillback Hollywood Hour, and Lily Holloman, one of the two hosts of a brand new podcast called Am I Right, Ladies? We recorded the chat on their lovely rooftop at the edge of Hollywood as the sun was setting, drinking martinis... I think, in fact, this is the most civilized episode of this show I have recorded so far. I'm actually recording this part in Burbank, California, where I'm spending the weekend. And one of the reasons I'm down here doing the SoCal Shuffle is to hang out on the Grabbing Lunch podcast with host Matt Knudsen. I'll be dining with him and the co-host of the Pop My Culture podcast, also past Succotash guest, Cole Stratton, later on today. And I will let you know when I find out when that podcast episode of Matt's is going to drop. In addition to our convo with Phil and Lily, or Philly, to give them their appropriate Hollywood power couple portmanteau, we've got some delicious burst of Durst with our resident political comedian and social commentator, Will Durst. We also have an ad, a new ad from Henderson's Pants. This episode is brought to you by the new Henderson's Pain Pants, and we'll also dip into the old tweet sack. We have a couple of clips. I know it's a chats episode, but these clips will be from the shows of our two guests. On the podcast review front, just to keep you up to speed, this past week I reviewed a somewhat silly podcast called Hello from the Magic Tavern, a show featuring sort of D&D characters that are actually hosting a podcast rather than adventuring. That's also funny. I'll clip them in the next Succotash Clips epi, and I also mentioned a couple of other podcasts during those reviews, a new one to me called You Better Don't, and a special extra episode of Welcome to Night Vale. So you can find those reviews and mentions up at splitsider.com. Also, Huffington Post. All right, I'm going to stop chattering about extraneous stuff because our chat this episode is fairly lengthy and we've got not one but two segments from Mr. Durst, so we better get a move on. Here's Will from a few weeks ago talking about the fracas over the Confederate flag. Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few choice words about the battle flag of the Army of Northern Virginia, which has been thrust into the news lately because some kid who loved it went crazy and committed an atrocity. Yes, again. The South continues to claim over and over that the flag is not a testament to their history of slavery, but an illustrious banner heralding their heritage and independence. The same way a skull and crossbones is a symbol of change and rebirth, and the swastika just a harmless emblem of Caucasian pride. Anything can stand for anything if you want it to. Yankee Doodle stuck a feather in his cap and called it macaroni. That doesn't mean people are going to start serving feathers and cheese as a side dish to barbecue dinners anytime soon. But it is disingenuous to the extreme to suggest that when the Stars and Bars is worn or brandished, it's not a wink-wink, nudge-nudge, knowing and shared bigoted commentary with no need to be verbalized. The ultimate dog whistle in the key of Dixie. Proof that though the war of northern aggression has been over for 150 years, the grudge remains alive. 
The South never quit fighting. They just took a breather with an extended intermission. Besides, their protestations might be a bit more believable if the states that fly the flag over Confederate monuments and state grounds weren't the same ones that defied integration until the bitter end with police and dogs and fire hoses. But it's about states' rights. Yeah, especially those rights that include owning your labor force. They may call it macaroni, but it's white supremacy. And Republicans wonder why they can't get black votes. Pull the flags down on government lands. Let people fly or paint or tattoo them on their own property, which thankfully no longer includes other people. For Succotash, the comedy podcast podcast, I'm Will Durst. You can catch a lot more Durst at his home site, willdurst.com. He's also tweeting about this and that all the time in equal measure, mind you, because he is a moderate, at Will Durst on Twitter. Now, before we get to our special guest this episode, here's a word from our sponsor. Hello, friends. It's the summertime, and the weather is fine. And if you're like most folks, you've been packing on the pounds. And why not? Beer, chips, summer cookouts, more beer, ice cream, deep-fried Twinkies with bacon. Yum, yum. If you're starting to blow up like the Michelin Man and self-control over what you shove down your neck is just a distant memory, it could be time to tug your way into a pair of Henderson's patented pain pants. Designed to fit no matter how chunky you may be, these amazingly well-engineered trousers are constructed to pull and tug and reel in all of that excess you with a few simple yanks and you're instantly summertime svelte. Henderson's pain pants don't actually help you lose weight, of course. It's all just a delightful illusion. <laughs> like so much of life, a painful, delightful illusion. Those straps tend to cut deeply into your fatty tissues, and there's a real danger of cutting off circulation to some, if not all, of your extremities. But until that happens, damn, you'll look good. Originally designed for Orson Welles, Kirstie Alley, and the Beer Barrel Brothers of Baltimore, Henderson's pain pants are temporarily unavailable, awaiting safety certification by the American Medical Association. But they're available for pre-order right now, wherever merchants have a loose sense of doing the right thing. That's Henderson's, makers of torturous trousers since 1923, and now back to Succotash. Thank you, Bill Haywatt. So the chat I have with Phil Lairness and Lily Holloman is mostly about podcasting, but we do range away from the subject uh, a bit as we go along. Hopefully the audio will hold up. It got a little breezy at times. You can hear the traffic from the street below along with the occasional siren. But you know what? I think that lends a little authentic atmosphere to the proceedings. As I said, I'm going to drop in a clip from each of their shows as we go. Uh, during the conversation, I'm not going to come out of the conversation to introduce them or anything. I will just slide the clips in along the way where I deem it most appropriate. See you on the other side where I'll be waiting for you with a second burst of Durst and the Tweet Sack. Quiet, Tweety. All right. Well, this is this is the first rooftop interview that we've done on Succotash, so it's very exciting that I can remember. Uh, I'm in the... You wouldn't call this the heart of Hollywood, I don't think. This is the verge of Hollywood, the edge of Hollywood. Uh, my guests are Phil Ernest from... The Chillpack Hollywood Hour. Hello, Phil. Hello. Welcome to the pancreas of Hollywood. <laughs> the pancreas of Hollywood. And Lily Holloman, who is uh, has been uh, 
a guest host several times on the Chill Pack Hollywood Hour, but is on the um, the pancreas of starting her own podcast. Hello, yes. Lily. Welcome. Hello, Mark. Good to be here. Good to have you here. Um, and thank you for having me as a guest in your uh, your lovely rooftop. Uh, what would you call this? A veranda? Well, it's a roof. Yes. Yeah, you know, we're on. A, it's not a veranda, I don't think. But it's got this railing around it that makes. Well, it, it has look. a white picket fence. We do have a white picket fence. Okay. Uh, it's a deck with a white picket fence. Right. Interesting. Which you asked for by name. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I mean, look. If people want to look on Google Earth and track us down right no. now, no. Uh, we're just a couple just, blocks from, okay. from Barnsdall Park. This isn't live. <laughs> uh, they can't get us now. <laughs> Barnsdall Park. Uh, over one side, we've got uh, with with the fantastic Frank Lloyd Wright Hollyhock House. Nice. We can see that, uh, and then equidistant to the other side of us, we see the Frank Lloyd Wright Ennis House, uh, one of the most marvelous examples of his textile block technique. So, those listeners familiar with the layout of Hollywood know exactly where we are right now. Exactly. Fantastic. Uh, so, both of you can keep enjoying the show. <laughs> um, anyway, I was uh, I was down in LA for business, and I figured uh, because uh, there's, um, as I said earlier, a transition going on at uh, the Chill Pack Hollywood Hour. At your, at your Chill Pack Hollywood at, Hour. At my Chill Pack Hollywood Hour. Except when I say it's mine, it suddenly no longer becomes yours. So right. it's sort of, uh, it's, it's a little bit Schrodinger's cat, <laughs> the Chill Pack Hollywood Hour. It's both listened to and not listened to. It's both skinned and not skinned. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Have we talked about that? About that phrase? I, I, I used to always use the, the phrase, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And it wasn't until I had a cat that I wondered, when did that phrase ever become acceptable and is there really jargon a, and is there really another way to skin Are a there cat I think. it's just it's all together terrible it is it is indeed but you know most things dealing most expressions around cat i found out had to deal with actually whipping sailors in the holds of ships such as not enough room to swing a cat it was actually a reference to a cat o nine tails used to punish sailors wow oh. my mind is blown and if I had one, it would be equally blown. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so to get back to the the transition, time of transition, the time of transition, your uh, your co-host and uh, um, heterosexual life partner, Dean <laughs> Dean Haglin, is uh, now in Australia, ensconced in Australia. When will this air? Before he comes back, because <laughs> he's because he is back. He is. Yeah, right now, as we sit, as the crow flies. Really? Whatever that means. <laughs> uh, he's he was also in, whipping a sailor. He may very well be on stage in Connecticut at Connecticon mm. uh, with Bruce Harwood and Tom Braidwood, the other two actors uh, that, uh, along with Dean, played the lone gunman. No kidding. Yeah. So he did. He came through town for a few hours. Okay. And then, get this, he flies from... Connecticut to New Zealand. Wow. Not to Australia, to New Zealand where he's doing more conventions. Then back to Sydney because he has to be in Melbourne which is a four or five hour flight from Sydney. Yes. Uh, but he can't get a direct flight from New Zealand to Melbourne so he has to fly to Sydney to fly down to Melbourne to do stand-up comedy. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 
So that's the section of your show about where will Dean be where, playing. Where is Dean? And then he's got a week in Bally's. There, there you go. Um, but anyway, so you guys are, are still trying to work out, I guess, the logistics of how Chilpak Hollywood is going to kind of come together week to week, I would imagine. There's the time difference. There's the time difference. There, there has been historically challenges relating to the internet in Australia, both uh, the speeds being unreliable uh-huh. and also data usage being charged. Uh-huh. Uh, that apparently is is quickly being resolved. Hmm. However, he shared with me his electricity bills, and oh. that is as if they're in the Dakotas during the midst of winter. Really, the size of these bills, yeah, per wow. kilowatt hours, it's it's extraordinary. But anyway, uh, we'll figure it out. I we'll figure it out. So we've had uh, several weeks of uh, pre-recorded shows of guest hosts, as yeah. you alluded to, uh, so that we could figure this all out. Of course. Spent those weeks not figuring it. Out. Yeah, not doing. It. <laughs> so you, you don't do anything until there's a deadline coming. Of course not. So Lily, as I mentioned, uh, you've guest hosted before, sitting in for Phil a couple of times on the show. But uh, most recently, you have uh, sort of, I guess, almost pilot episoded, if that's a, even a word. I don't know that it is or a term. Uh, your own show that's coming out with a partner, I believe. Yeah, it's kind of a soft opening to our spinoff that, uh, have we even announced that yet, or? That, that, well, I guess just now, if I remember correctly, just a few moments ago, (laughs) we announced (laughs) that uh, there will be a spinoff from Chilpak Hollywood Hour, starring Lily Holloman and, uh. Karen Foreman, who previously had been a guest on one of the yes. most popular episodes of Chillpack Hollywood Hour ever, and uh, has been guest co-hosting with Lily, and they will be, uh, yeah, they will be spun off into their very own podcast. Well, that's exciting, I would assume. So there was a guy who was protesting and ruining our shots and there was a guy that was playing Peter Paul and Mary ruining the sound in our shots and I was sitting there waiting for my shot which was taking longer because of the protester and the guitar player and I hear this guy go oh excuse me ma'am you dropped something and I said oh I'm looking around what did I drop your smile (gasps) there's nothing I hate worse than somebody, a stranger on the street, telling me to smile. That is really annoying. It but is. it sounds that sounds like a not a bad pickup line in the right situation. I don't think so. It's so <laughs> controlling. You immediately feel like you, they want to control you. He yeah. said, "There's no frowning in California." Um, says who? Who made that rule? This That's is not the in type the of books. peace and love that these quote unquote <sighs> types of hippies are into. I'm oh telling God. you, it's... You dropped your smile. That is his, That I is just, really funny. I know it wasn't funny to you, but hearing that story, it cracks me up. I locked eyes and just growled at him. Good. Growled. Don't you dare give him that smile. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Never. Not happening. Never tell me to smile. the worst frown you, you ever saw, buddy. You will get a growl. <laughs> <laughs> you will not be smiling when I'm done with you. Mm-mm. Oh, well, that sounds like a fascinating, interesting surprising um, weekend that you had. It was quite the place. Wow. And I even got stranded there for longer than I wanted to. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh. They, they, um, the, the plane didn't have a tire. 
that was safe. <laughs> Only in Eureka. That's going to be our new saying for <laughs> they a They had to wake to up the man. It was a 6 a.m. flight. They oh had to God. wake up the man um, who was to study the tire from his home and get him to the airport. Oh, my God. And then once he was like, yeah, it's not safe, then they said, <laughs> actually, we don't have a tire here. We have to wait until our third of three flights of the day going out of our oh airport arrives from San Francisco to bring the tire. <sighs> and there was a stray cat roaming about the airport. <laughs> Moral of the story, guys, no need to visit Eureka no ever need. in your lifetime. No Northern California, beautiful. Not, yeah. not Eureka. Don't go there. Yeah. You know, I don't think Mendocino's too far from there, and that is a beautiful place uh, in California to go to, but that's neither here nor there. Um, well, that's amazing, and I don't have any segue for this. I'm just going to go into it. Um, you guys, Game of Thrones finale. Uh, Lily and Phil do not watch the Game of Thrones, which is very distressing to me, uh, all on its own. But um, there was a finale. It was so intense, so good. It was devastating. I talked about it uh, in my stand-up on Saturday night, um, and I basically just said... I was in mourning all week because of the finale. I was um, wearing black, castle black, which you would understand if you watch the show. Um, yeah, it's very, very, uh, very depressing. And um, I'm in a bit of denial about it. There's been lots of talk. A very beloved character dies. I'm not going to say who it is because um, I don't want to ruin it because I really do want you guys to start that show. It will, you will really enjoy it. I want to think that. Because it's so good. <laughs> Right, ladies. It's going to be about women in the entertainment industry. Very nice. Well, yeah. In the entertainment industry or in media? Because media is a little bit broader, right? I mean, might it not? And I used the word broad, not as pejorative <laughs> of women. I meant more wide in its scope, is what I meant. Uh, because certainly journalism could be oh, yeah. sure. part of it. So, sure. media, women in the media? Mm hmm. Okay. Um, and uh, how are you enjoying? Now, I think you've had two episodes with you and Karen. Yes. And how has that experience been? I mean, before you were just sort of filling in, but it really, I really got the sense listening to it that you guys are, you know, helming the show yourself. And what has that experience been like? Well, it's uh, harkened back to my college radio days as uh, I DJed in college for three years under the name DJ Snork. DJ Snork. Mm -hmm. You know what? I heard you mention that, and we have an interesting connection in the name Snork that oh, yeah? you wouldn't know about. Oh, yeah? I, I was um, a, a producer on a uh, game show that actually never came to fruition for the Game Show Network, which was part of Sony and still is. And the day that I started, you had to go down and get your Sony employee ID. So I went down, I had my picture taken, and the guy says, well, what name do I put on here? And I said, would you please put Snorky on there? Being an, an inveterate fan of uh, the Banana Splits, he goes, "No, seriously, what do you?" I said, "No, no, everyone calls me Snorky, so if you could put that on there, that'd be great because everyone knows who it is." Oh, okay. So nobody called me Snorky, but he, so so I had an employee idea for Sonny. Just have my picture and the name Snorky emblazoned on it, which is fantastic. So. Wow! When we first started, I vaguely recall when we first started doing Chill Pack Hollywood Hour. For a couple of years, I had a dubious flirtation with uh, being called Phil Ochocinco. 
Yes. Because uh, because Chad Johnson, the wide receiver, had changed his name to Ocho Cinco, and I made this big thing about how he stole what I was going to do. So uh, one time I was visiting the Apple campus, the main Apple campus yeah. in uh, in Cupertino. Yes. Having lunch there, and you go through a lot of security to get there, and they. You know, so I went through all the protocols, and there was a badge and a name tag with, and it's with photo ID, I believe, even for a guest badge, uh-huh. and it was all prepared for me, and it uh, said Phil Ochocinco. <laughs> so, let's get back to um, your, so, your DJ snork. Right. So I guess that name came about because I used to like to wear my uh, hair in a bun on the top of my head, mm-hmm. uh, in combination with enjoying the snork show and so we started this radio show and it was called songs not featuring sinbad which is sort of okay. all you know pretty much every, every song yeah. all good yeah. songs, absolutely <laughs> i think all songs was he in any any song i don't even want to get there um so and i was dj snork and my my partner was large martian and i find the audio median quite quite liberating especially when you can go off on tangents and you have some topics and i don't know because i mean you are you are an actress so so, and and that you're usually you know fairly confined by a script and a character whereas here you're really establishing your character and as you know i i know and phil knows that character is can become amorphous in a in a podcast setting i mean you do want to kind of come across as yourself so your listener feels comfortable with who you are but that can stretch to a tremendous you know parameters so you've done two episodes now and how how is that feeling like you said it's liberating but what else what is what else is there in terms of bringing yourself to the microphone as opposed to a character it feels um it feels more abstract than being on camera because it feels almost like it's going into this other dimension and you almost never know if it's gonna what it's gonna do i don't know or if anyone's listening yeah exactly (laughs) so it can take on the equivalent of you just sort of sitting at as a kid and having your own pretend show in a way and there's a comfort level to that that's true i mean i as uh as certainly I think Phil knows and you may have heard I mean most of most of the elements of the show that I record I do literally sitting in the front seat of my car <laughs> late at night outside my house and it's just this surreal thing that I'm recording this thing and I can hear it in my headphones and I I, I imagine that I'm doing it for people because I, I spent six years in radio so I imagine there are people listening but yeah. it's so removed from having actual listeners yeah. at the time and then I go in and I cut everything together and I play it and it's just and when I listen to it I have trouble myself thinking of myself being in the front seat of my car. It sounds like I'm hosting this show live. Right, so it's sort of abstract in yeah. that way. Yeah, very because much Because so. you have to fill in, although it's cute, because I have uh, my godson and nephew, he's 10 years old, and, you know, we're in the age of video blogs, mm. and he is allowed to have a YouTube channel, but it's completely private. Not a soul in the world <laughs> can see it, Yeah. but he acts as if he has his own show, and he talks to the camera as if he has viewers, yeah. and he says, guys, you know, comment below if you have ideas for my, the but name no, of my wait fish. A, wait a second, your, your nephew, your, your godson, yeah. is James Corden? <laughs> oh. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> 
to like, you know, I wanted to be a disc jockey. I used to listen to, you know, KSFO radio in San Francisco. And I, I had like a tiny reel-to-reel tape recorder. And I would record these shows. Again, nobody would ever hear these things. It's like YouTube, a private YouTube channel. Yeah. Right? So nobody can watch it or listen to it. But you just get this feeling I'm practicing or this is what it's going to sound like. And I do my big one when I was summers, uh, when I was in elementary school. I would every night before going to bed, I would, there was, ESPN didn't exist and we didn't have cable, even the earliest days of cable weren't there yet, but I would host a half hour or one hour show all about the day's events in sports (laughs) and there's no internet either. So I was scouring, I had transistor radios and I could get feeds from even across the Mississippi. Oh. I could pick up like St. Louis Cardinals broadcast. I could, so I had several going. <laughs> and during them, they were giving highlights and, uh, and, and updates on other games because they had the news wire. And I kept calling a San Jose Mercury News uh, hotline <laughs> number where they would update the tape giving you the most recent scores oh, every and finally I got a number to reach someone live and kept bothering him so that I could have up to date information because most of the stuff wouldn't get published on, in a newspaper till the next day sure. the box scores or what have you and uh, and if it was a night game on the west coast it wouldn't even be in the paper right. the next morning so I had to have this because you know, my bedtime, even during the summers, was probably 11 p.m., 11.30 p.m., yeah. depending, you had, you had depending people, on how long and you the had, show was going to go You had people night. waiting for this information. So I had to be ready to go at 10.30 or 11 every night, depending on how busy a day it was, right? If there was, we would only do a half-hour show sometimes. Um, <laughs> and this is what I would do all summer long. This was everything built up. You know, I'd sleep late in the day because I had to recover from the late. big show. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> it sounds, so, sort of sounds like the sting, you know, when they had they were getting, like, feeds from the different racetracks around the country and pretending like they were real. So I'm 10 years old. This is what I'm wow, doing. Wow, nice. 1978 or something like that. Nice. Now, yeah. did you have a co-host or you're working alone? No, but I would, uh, I'd, I'd take, I imagine that there was an announcer. <laughs> Right, who would do sure. product IDs, and then I would imagine that I was getting it thrown back to me. Okay, that's great. That's great. That's fantastic. Um, so, as uh, Lily, as you've been sort of working your way towards this this show, what's your take on podcasting? And Phil, I'm going to ask you sort of to answer the, the same question, but you've been in the game a lot longer, so it'll be interesting to see sort of the contrast. But as you're working your way into it, what, how how do you look at podcasts as sort of a uh, a vital and um, active medium? Really, I I think that um, if you have a topic that you're passionate about, that you feel um, could use some shiny, like I see this sort of stone that could use a little buffing and shining and. If, I, I don't know if I, that, that's abstract. That's weird. No, you're romancing. <laughs> yeah. they call the, the jewelers call it romancing. Yeah. Romancing the stone. Exactly. So if there's something you feel you can contribute to the world, if there's a point of view that's not being heard, for instance, and it's becoming more and more a hot topic, but when we came to this idea of women in the media, it really was preempted this this stand that people are taking now um, about giving 
uh, been interested in uh, discussing issues pertaining to women in the media, and th that's who we are. It also, though, has uh, you know dovetailed nicely with the fact that our demographics have always revealed that the majority of our audience are women. Huh. So it seems like the right time, certainly, to to spin this off and have women speaking about women in the media and to women in the media. And, uh, uh, and you know, also it is interesting how much you will read, you know, stories about the need to give women uh, more opportunities behind the camera in addition to in front of the camera and in more positions of creative autonomy and authority. So that is uh, exciting. Of course, we're also going to... Uh, produce an, another podcast together in addition to that oh, because okay. uh, in addition to being an actress and a producer and now a, a, a podcast host Lily is the chairman of the Los Angeles Breakfast Club oh, right. a historic institution in its 90th year of existence wow. now which was founded in 1925 by the princes of the city people like Mulholland yeah. and all the studio executives and, and uh, hotshot directors like Griffith and uh, this club was, was uh, founded then, and at the height of its popularity and importance throughout the 30s and 40s, sitting presidents would have to come huh. and pay respects really? to this if they hoped to get reelected. Huh. And throughout its heyday, it was broadcast live nationwide, at least the second hour of it was. And all of these original uh, broadcasts, or most of them, I believe, exist on vinyl really in their libraries so we were uh saying that at some point uh, hopefully in the near future we'll start putting together a podcast uh about each week you know kind of picking up that tradition that has been dormant for many decades now of broadcasting the breakfast club and each week it will be uh, an interview with a with a member as well as uh some maybe samples from that week's entertainment or speaker about the Breakfast Club and historic clips from one of those, those classic broadcasts. Interesting. That sounds really fascinating. It's a uh, great idea. But it does feel like we're in the midst of, am I wrong? Maybe it's the third, but it seems to me we're in the midst of the second great wave yes. of podcasting. Yes, and I, I think the the uh, I, one of the elements which I talked about recently uh, on my podcast and also um, in my review was the idea that the sitting American president came to Mark Maron's garage and was on WTF. Yeah, and how did, you, how did you feel about that, Lil? Um, <laughs> I think you found that ridiculous. I, I, I found it a little ridiculous on the president's part. It's a, obviously a huge score for Mark Maron. Well, not just Mark Maron. I think it's a huge score for podcasting. And regardless of what... I'm curious to find out why you think it's ridiculous on the president's part. But I think in terms of drawing attention to podcasting and certainly people know have known about podcasting but the idea that the only way that you were going to find out what the president had to say and he didn't say anything re revelatory but the only way you could do it was to get to Mark Maron's podcast and I think that alone again regardless of whether it was ridiculous right. or whatever yeah. I think was this milestone you know I think probably as we were experiencing the traffic <laughs> and you know, her being told what the, you know, the uh, the the cause of that traffic was. Yes. 
at a time when, you know, it's really easy to just Skype into a show. Yes, true. The amount of taxpayer money that went into President Obama appearing in Mark Maron's garage, that might have been a little ridiculous. It may have been ridiculous, but then having been in the Bay Area where where the current president has created traffic problems at least eight times during the course of his two, two terms, uh, I, I share your pain. And For me, it's more about the fact that, and I, I respect the president of the United States as the president of the United States, um, it just makes me cringe a little when any president of the United States is a star effer. I don't like to... Oh, wow, that's nice. Wow. It just makes me cringe when they kiss up to Of course, I just said, you know, there's there's Hoover in line, in a receiving line at the breakfast club. Yeah, and I mean, look at... Well, that's a good point. You make a very good point. You know, Nixon went on laughing because he thought it would help his numbers. Sure. You know? It's always been the case. Clinton went on The Tonight Show. Absolutely. Went on Daily Show. All these different things. George Bush landed on an aircraft carrier in a a fairy costume with his balls shoved up to his Adam's apple. I understand that they do this to um, make make a gesture to, towards being liked, but that is inherently what disappoints me because yeah. Yeah. I feel like the President of the United States should be on a pedestal. They shouldn't but, be on our level. Let me, let me throw be, this at the other... Yeah. Let me throw this at the, 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 the other side, though. Uh, you know, we have no problem with a, a leader, never mind just a president, but any leader uh, appearing on uh, David Letterman yes. or Jon Stewart. And in fact, we have no problem with it because we actually know that those are two of the only places they'll get asked. They might get asked questions that are outside the scripted talking talking points. Yes. Um, where you might get a moment of reality of reality <laughs> yeah. mixed in. Uh, certainly with John Stewart, where he's going to want to ask good questions because the, the mainstream broadcast uh, journalists. Uh, and certainly this might not be their fault, but uh, for a variety of reasons have failed us for a long while. So uh, the thing that's ridiculous to me about President Obama appearing on Mark Maron's show is really that that's maybe what it's come to also for a political leader to want to cut through the bullshit is I got to go on this guy's podcast to have any kind of straight talk whatsoever. Yeah, I found the most disarming That's moment was point. towards the end where he asked, uh, Marin asked, who are your favorite comedians? I mean, where else would Obama yep. ever be asked that question? Yeah. You know, I mean, most of his answers were, I mean, they were, I found it, you know, not really that enthralling. His answers seemed pretty pat and sort yeah. of by the, and they were long. But there was just those, like you said, those moments, right, where well, who would ask him this question? And he had right. a, and he had answers for it. You know, I, I think I said in my review, I said in my mind, I pictured there there must have been a room set up in the White House that was, you know, dedicated to being Mark Maron's garage, and there was some staffer with a Mark Maron name tag on who was like grilling him with Maron-esque questions to prepare him for his visit <laughs> oh, to the garage. I know. I know. Somebody playing that role, yeah. It probably it was probably Biden, right? Uh, <laughs> well, in a day and age, I guess what bothers me in general, and, and you make a really good point about comedians being the only people who can truly communicate now on a political level, 
is that because the mainstream media feels so comfortable disrespecting the president, and uh, so now the collective kind of is feels free to disrespect the president if they disagree with his policies, et cetera, et cetera, as opposed to what it used to be where, yeah, if you disagree with the president, it's a respectful disagreement. You're not tearing them down personally. You're not... You're still honoring the position well, and the leadership. Yeah. There's also, there's just no conversation. When Dean and I started the show, the only idea we had about the show was we wanted it to be a conversation each week. And maybe that would become a conversation that would uh, spread out beyond simply the two of us and would engage other people, both as guests and an audience. But it was a conversation. And what evolved was it was a conversation each week about what was ever going on in the world that had captured our attention. And usually through the prism of how that was being de depicted in the media. Uh, but it was this because we felt that uh, when you look to the media, there's very little conversation taking place. Be it, uh, you know, even in the case of politics or the news, there's very little authentic conversation going on. So wouldn't it be maybe interesting or refreshing to hear two men talk? to each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I don't op I actually don't oppose the interview. I just didn't like the image of him sitting in a garage. <laughs> Uh, I actually, I mean, again, maybe I'm just a sucker for drama, but to me it was just interesting that they go to all this trouble. And if you listen to Marin's setup, I mean, they had the whole house tented. They had snipers on neighboring rooftops. You know, there yeah. was no parking on the residential street for the time he was there. And it just all this rigmarole is just amazing. That episode of the IFC show is going to be great, though, isn't it? Yeah, when he, when, yes, when he rewrites it. What I was reminded of, uh, kind of shockingly, was how much better a broadcaster Howard Stern is than anything else out there. You know, because he was so a maverick, for lack of a better term, for so long, yeah. who then became really kind of part of the institution, mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah, it's an interesting way to put it. And uh, it's easy to kind of paint him with the brush of the impact he had vis-a-vis -vis people who tried to ape his success. Yes. Yeah. But the vast majority of whom lacked what is only becoming apparent now in relation to them, which is this incredible amount of broadcasting ability. That's right. That he had. That's right. And his um, intellect. Yeah, sure. Okay. If you say so. <laughs> who, am, who am I to argue? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that I... Yeah, I don't know quite, if I'd go quite there. Go there but. Yeah. I don't know if he's a sparkling wit. <laughs> you know, he, it's not... It's but not, he, he wants to be, especially if you saw his uh, last appearance with Letterman. Yeah. Oh, yeah, my well, Trying so like desperately to be part of that. If you're a good comedian, I think you are intellectually. Smart. You're facile, right? Mm -hmm. Dexterous. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, was was Howard Stern a comedian? I mean, no. he, was, he wasn't. He was, no, he was a, a broadcaster. Uh, who had a very comedic I think slant. He, he's been smart to surround himself with people that uh, either are comedians or have a uh, sort of perspective on humor. I think it helps direct him to come across as being funnier. I don't find him really funny. I mean, per se. No, I mean, it's it's like, uh, for example, your chill pack Hollywood hour. I mean, Dean Hagelin, <laughs> a 
classically trained, as we've talked about before. Yes. Improvisational comic. That's right. Classically trained. Many times we've had some of the big names in comedy, you know, uh, live comedy, uh, both comedic actors, uh, writers on the show. In all these instances, I'm the funniest one in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah. So, so. Uh, do you have any other silent? Uh, I have female. Yes. Stars. I do. You might like the It Girl, Clara Bow. Uh, she was uh, called the It Girl because she had that it, that uh, undefinable something that made her personality jump off the screen, and particularly. In silent film, that was much harder to do. Your film quality stock was less. Your, uh, you know, all these uh, barriers to actually seeing the performance uh, come to the audience. It was often prints were poorly done, you know, that sort of thing. But but Clara Bow, hilarious, bubbly, great timing. Uh, she did a ton of films, uh, mostly. She started as like one of these cheesy swimsuit model things, okay, all right. and uh, then developed into a, a leading lady. Where she did now, I'm trying to remember. She did a movie actually called The It Girl. Once the right, papers right. named her The It Girl, the the studios got on board with that, and uh, really funny and a great actress as well. She did some uh, dramatic. Uh, she did 46 silent films and about 11 talkies, as they were called. Including oh, she really her stardom extended into extended. The, she was in the very first Oscar-winning film Wings of 1927. Of course, but that was a silent. Well, film. no, no. Uh, uh, that I was there. Where well, there's a copy of it silent, and then when sound came out, Howard Hughes says we're doing the whole movie again wow. with sound. So there's actually two prints of it out there. There's a silent print, and then there's a sound print because you know Howard Hughes had that kind of money, and uh, he wanted to be. He somehow, in the middle of production, he didn't hear sound was coming, so the film was released, and then they said, oh, yeah, no, everybody wants a talkie now. And so Howard Hughes did the whole movie again uh, with um, microphones in it. Uh, of course, her demise was also, well, <laughs> there's, a, there's a house in Beverly Hills that she owned uh, early on, uh -huh. and uh, she was known for her wild parties, including... Uh, the entire USC Trojan football team. So this was not apocryphal, it this was, story? No. This was her uh, having... This a, is true story. True story. She, uh, the football team was uh, said they were never allowed to party at her place again after the neighbors complained of a completely naked touch football game going on in her front lawn at uh, about 11 p.m. Uh, on one summer eve. So, you know, she liked to party, that girl. And... Uh, Eventually, uh, she got married in 31, and she died in 1965 of a heart attack. At the well, so she lived quite a while. Quite a while. But she was out of movies by the time, uh, you know, around 1931. She retired from acting and moved to a ranch in Nevada and, um, and sort of lived out the last 30 years of her life there. So, but quite so, a reputation. And, and so what's your favorite of hers? My favorite of hers, there was one that she did, and it wasn't the It Girl, and I'm trying to remember, and I'm just looking now at it, and uh, it was hilarious. Uh, dee -dee -dee -doo. Just looking through her IMDb. Uh, one would think one would be able to name off the top of one's head <laughs> one's favorite. I know. And, uh, 
but she was like the flapper, right? So Who's she, your favorite of your children? Let me look up their names. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> You know, this whole con- concept of podcasting, I mean, I love that we, we, we've talked about this before, you and I, Mark, like, we're never going to come up with another name other than podcast. We've tried. Mod- podcast is, uh, it is locked in, it is etched in stone, and it will outlast, it already has outlasted discontinued iPods, yes. right? yep. So... Episodic scripted entertainment television long after. I would assume so. I mean, television is no more. I mean, right? if, you, if you watch a show on Netflix, you're still saying you're what are watching you watching? TV. Right, you're watching TV. And uh, there was this brief flirtation. You're not, you, you know, it's not television, it's home box office. Yeah. Remember that? Yes. You know? oh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, we're going to call it television. And, of course, we still call it film. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. We still call it exactly. film. Well, we still tell people, I'm going to, uh, you know... I'm going to be di- in a film. I'm going to dial the phone. <laughs> when was the last time that ever happened? I've never heard that. No? No. What I don't know what either so. half of that means. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Phil, you mentioned you, you've had guests on the show. We were talking about co- comedic guests, but you've had a, a number of guests on the show from time to time. Lily, will your show feature guests? Right now it's you and Karen. In the two episodes that have, uh, have made it to the podcast land realms. Absolutely. That's the impetus for the show. We're still kind of playing around with what the structure is going to be, whether we do one episode where it's just us and then the other one is an interview or half and half. But that was really the main drive in wanting to do the show is to bring women in and talk about their various experiences, um, actresses, female directors, Writers, you name it. Uh, will you ever, ever have men as guests? Or is it strictly a women's That's a really good question. I can't question. One of the reasons I ask is Janet Varney does a, a podcast called The JV Club and she interviews women. Uh-huh. Uh, but in the summer, she actually does a series of summer specials where she actually interviews guys. talk about uh, who we would invite if they were still alive. Oh, Me would be George Cukor because okay. he he directed a lot of female driven films in the 40s, 50s, etc. Um, so if if there was a particular man who incorporated these themes mm-hmm. it would be interesting to ask why. Yeah. You know, it would be if, if nothing else, why? How did this come about? Uh, in the case, you know, of Kukor, it's it's probably, you know, he was a studio director, probably just showed great affinity for handling one of the stars who may have had a reputation for being difficult. I mean, that tended to be how these things began, but it would be interesting, you know, if, yeah. uh, you, you know what led to that particular sensibility. I, I was in a meeting uh, about uh, our film we produced, The Lady Killers, uh, with a gentleman uh, maybe representing the film. 
this meeting, he's really not interested in helping any movies get made or, you know, putting his energy towards getting movies made unless they're female-driven hmm. at this point. Whatever it was, and you look at his filmography, most of the film's not female-driven, but whatever it was, he's just gotten to the point where maybe he looks at the landscape and says, hmm. no, with everything that I've got now, it needs to go in this direction. He might be an interesting person to ask, like, well, yeah. why? What I would also about? ask, uh, it's Paul Feig, right? Yes, the bridesmaid, Feig, Bridesmaids, and Spy, and, the female and the female Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. I would love to ask him. Yeah. And serving the feminine since 1968. Well, I have been serving the feminine <laughs> since 1968, that's true. And as you've said, I really missed my calling as, as a cult leader. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. It has been, I will admit, always been a dream of mine to uh, ha have uh, a, a cult, or if not a cult, 
a home for runaway girls in their late teens and early Okay, so now, now it's beginning to sound a little tawdry, I'm afraid. Oh, when I was, first got to know Phil, I went up to him and I said, you know what scares me about you? He said, what There's I said. There's just one thing. He said, I said, how easily you could become a cult leader. <laughs> wow. I'm not sure if that's an endorsement or a condemnation. <laughs> Maybe both. Maybe both. But to get back to a just a, sort of the subject that you raised, so yes. if, you could, if you could have somebody as a guest on Chill Pack uh, that was no longer living, who would it be and why? Oh, my goodness. Hitting me with questions like that. Well, this is a hard-hitting show. I don't know if you ever listened to Circuit I have my guess. Okay. No, no, don't guess yet. No, yeah, Are we going to do this like the newlywed game? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Here's who Lil predicted <laughs> Phil would say. That being the butt, Bob. Oh, wait. That's a totally different joke. Sorry. <laughs> um, wow, there's, uh, there's a few. You know, I once had a dream when I was in film school that I... Uh, was was at a table. I had died. I actually had died, and I was at a table with Orson Welles and Patrick McGowan. Really? <laughs> um, uh, I could talk to a lot of people that I. So, is this anyone or media? Media show business, I guess. Uh, yeah, let's say media show. Well, no, it could be anybody just who's no longer alive that you couldn't get a chance to talk to now. But if you could, well, you assume. First of all, you assume that I can't. I mean, I'm a big deal in the shamanic realm. <laughs> I'm kind of James Bond in the shamanic you realm. Still so. can't, you still can't get him from a podcast, Mike. I don't well, care. that's a good point. Yeah. That's a, okay, that's a good point. Um, so, uh, is Peter O'Toole still alive? What if uh, What if I don't know whether they're alive or dead? You know, I'm always making this mistake where I think someone's died. And I like know. Ten years later, I'll see <laughs> I know. He was still alive? I believe O'Toole. I don't know. You know, he's been in my mind lately because of a fantastic memoir that he he wrote. Uh, I would. It would have to be uh, anyone not with us. Uh, it would it would either be Fellini or uh, or it would be Orson Welles. That's what I guessed. Um, <laughs> Orson Welles. I. I, you know, I would have loved to have talked to Robert Altman, but there's so much ample interview material and, you know, so much material that's instructive for me. Uh, I loved his approach as a filmmaker. Um, I, I would have loved to get to converse with Fellini, who deeply, intuitively understood psychology. But, but Wells is probably the one that appeals to me the most, and yet it's also, there's this knowing in me that I'm, I'm fortunate that it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. uh, he had actually agreed to a deal to become a, a professor at film school at UCLA oh, really? when he died. And, you know, I went to film school at UCLA. But, uh, you know, from accounts and stories, a lot of bitterness. Yeah. And I'm not sure you ever would have gotten honest uh, But you could have interviewed him at any point in his life. That's part of the game. Oh, is that part of the game? Sure. <laughs> I guess it is now. <laughs> but you know, rules keep changing, just like podcasting itself. But you know, uh, I I became uh, for those who don't know, Patrick McGowan uh, made the seminal TV series The Prisoner, was the highest paid television actor in the world in the 1960s. Turned down the role of James Bond multiple times. Uh, is uh, the reason Connery was hired the first time. Uh, he and I struck up a, a friendship for for a while, and I actually. Uh, got some very open 
discourse with really? him on topics that he supposedly refused to ever oh. talk about. Uh, and this was before we were doing the podcast. Oh, it might okay. have made for a very interesting podcast, but it also might not have ever. He may never have been willing to talk about this in yeah. front of a microphone. So I do think I'm able to approach people and get them to talk about things that they're um, usually reticent to talk about. But I think part of that is because I, I'm generally not interested in hearing the same stories that they're asked sure. to talk about again and no, again. No, why on would every you other want to? Show. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, for ratings, is probably that would drive to grow an audience. Is the answer to that question? Why would I want to ask the same question? Can they get asked again and again? No, so that we can be successful. I don't think so. I think asking the different <laughs> questions is what would draw the listeners. We think in a podcast room, you know, it gets out. Hey, this was a different interview than he normally yeah. gives. Yeah. You know, I mean, if if when Obama had gotten on Marin's podcast and what he had said was not sort of the sound bites we're used to him hearing, that would have been really fascinating. But it was all the same uh, kind of stuff, right? Yeah. More In that less. case, invite him to the White House. Right. Let him have let him have the experience of interviewing the president in the White House, as opposed to Obama going slumming and coming to the garage. Yeah, yeah I want to yeah. see the garage where it's all with a magic cabinet. Yes. Yes. They <laughs> could Although, have gone to the White House garage. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Hey, why don't you? Well, I don't want to take over the show. Wait a minute. Well, you took over Mark's show, so I get to take over the show <laughs> now, and I get to ask you. Tell me something we don't know about the Naval Observatory. <laughs> residence is on the grounds, right? Yes. So yeah. You in fact, I did, In fact, when you said that, I um, I did not. I have no idea what else is on there. Really? Beyond the house. Well, there's yeah. the observatory. I didn't even know. I didn't even <laughs> see that part. I just hung out in the pool house. Oh, she thought Naval Observatory was code like Air Force One. Or I thought like, it was or, just yeah, like a novel. Or, or like contemplating your navel. This is it was a big <laughs> meditation center. It was a big anchor out front, but I just thought it was decoration. Yeah, That's it was funny. you know my uncle lived in a house called Ice Station Zebra, so it, there was nothing odd about. Uh, That's funny. No, it was very cool because um, that was another Magoo reference. It was during <laughs> it was during the inauguration. Um, I was in high school, oh, really? and so we got invited to all the big events, and we were crazy just gleeful teenagers and I met Aretha Franklin and they had this this party at their house and Aretha Franklin performed I shook her hand she has a dead fish handshake unfortunately but no less no less powerful Um, is it real or is it a dead fish handshake (laughs) 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 but it was it was a really Cool. When she gave you That's the dead it. fish handshake, did you did you say, "Come on, firm, firm it up, Aretha. Show a little self respect." <laughs> a little soul. A little self respect. Well, we were these bright-eyed teenagers, and we were so excited to meet her. And of course, we were naive enough to go up to her and be like, "We love you. Hi, you did such a good job." And what a great experience, though. Yeah. It was, it was pretty cool. Behind the scenes of the inauguration. I was on the Mayor Art Show in San Francisco. It <laughs> oh. so pales by comparison. <laughs> you know, I uh, 
boy, it's like we're name dropping. I don't know <laughs> what we're, you know, and as, as I often say on the show, Bob, Bobby De Niro told me never to name drop, but, <laughs> um, Hawaii International Film Festival when you, there's this reception, you want to go to the reception? Okay, we'll go to the reception where the filmmakers are feted or whatever, right? And, um, uh, and I'm wondering, like, who's, who's this shaking my hand? Where are we? You know, it's like, you know, there's there's the tapestry of King Kamehameha. Yes. <laughs> and like, somebody's shaking my hand and putting yet another lady right. around my neck. And, you know, all this stuff. And that was the governor. It's like, really? And the, and the strangest thing about it. So I'm partying in the governor's mansion in Hawaii for this thing. It was great. I mean, it was a lot of fun. How long ago was this? This would have been late 90s, like 98, 99. And, uh... But I just remember the odd thing was feeling like, well, should I feel honored by this? I mean, isn't being a governor a big deal? I, Why do I feel? It's interesting because our paths have, have crossed in yet another way. I was at, I was in Hawaii. This was two years ago, and a friend of mine over there is Andy Bumatai, who's this comedian. Oh, sure. And so Andy goes, "Hey, I'm going. I'm doing this show, and I want you to come out. You know, pick me up at my house. We'll go to this thing. There's like four comics on. They have dinner." people they're serving this dinner and i get seated at this table and he goes yeah let's just sit here uh and he introduces me to this guy and he goes i gotta go see when i'm up so he leaves and i said oh what do you do he says i'm retired now but i used to be the governor and it was the same guy because that's when he yeah. was the governor yeah. and i'm sitting there eating dinner with him and his wife and that's it he's just a guy he's just a dude because I used to be the governor. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Maybe it's you, Hawaii. Can you pick me up maybe a fork when you're at the table. I forgot my fork. Maybe it's because it's Hawaii and it's laid back and yeah. chill or whatever. But I just felt like there. Was, what is missing? Yes. There's this. The, what's missing is a sense of reverence and awe from me. Yes. Yes. In the, the pomp and circumstance. Am of I? All. Am I just? jaded but it wasn't no i think people in authority uh less and less put on that they they want to be considered the everyman as opposed to in the past people would put on a certain you should revere me attitude but i think i think we also recognize they are just us yeah they aren't these people that are they're not hallowed they're not you know, they haven't been given some special dispensation by the right. gods or anything. They're right. just us, and they happen to get elected or you know, pulled the right switches, right. Or, you know, kissed the right. No, ass I mean the, or the, the much the, where I did get the sense of awe uh, and and really, uh, you know, felt humbled. Bobby De Niro. Was, no, was when uh, uh, at that same festival, the the festival shows the films in Honolulu, and then it tours the small the outlying islands where it brings the films for free to those islands to people because these are independent yes. films that th- those people, you know, especially, again, late 90s, no Netflix, no internet, this is the only way they're ever going to see these films. And uh, so I got to show my film, The Party Crashers, at the Hanakoa People's Theater. Oh, nice. In Hanakoa, which was an old plantation village. Huh. Of course, all the sugarcane plantations had long since uh, closed up shop. Right. Sugarcane was, was growing wild all across the islands uh, because the, the industry was tour, was tourism and uh, the production cost yeah. there of farming it had just become too too great so it's this old uh, plantation town and the theater the people's theater which was built in the 1910s and I got to show the film there and the history of that and the people who live there many of whom you know go back these generations yeah. and they come out 
to see these films because it's the only chance they're going to get. That was cool. Yeah. I felt really humbled to mm. be there in that Interesting. experience. Yeah. But I do think that that's lacking in leadership in general now because I, this is a really stupid example, but it's the first thing that comes to my mind, which is the newest Planet of the Apes movie. Yes. Where, what's the lead ape? Caesar. Caesar, okay. So, granted, it was a terrible movie, but they show that hey, Caesar... Hey, wait a minute. People loved it. Hey, wait people a minute. Loved it. <laughs> yeah, people okay. loved it. In my mind, it was not good, but um, <laughs> Caesar, they did show the process, the old tribal process, where one man was leader, and he was revered, and he had this kind of intuitive knowing mm -hmm. about what was the best for his tribe, and he would go off, and he would take his time, and people would listen to what he had to say, and I do think that that is lacking I now. Couldn't agree now more. Now all our leaders are just knee jerk. Well, yeah. Back and forth, they want to. Well, there's so many special. There's so many special interests yeah. that drive everything. And egos, and and it used to be that ego wasn't part of the of leadership whatsoever. Or at least that's our perception of it. I don't know that that's. True in tribes, either, right? in, in tribes, it used yeah, to be that way. Yeah, true. Um, that's the origin well, of what be, a leader is. It'll be interesting, right, uh, before we were recording, right, we were talking about when people become a projection screen as a quote-unquote father figure, at, be it a teacher or a coach, which is what we were talking about. It happens as a director, uh, but I'm sure it happens as an employer, a boss, you know, if you... Podcaster. Like, podcaster. <laughs> well, you are the podfather. Of, of course, course, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but, and politician traditionally leader yes. is, is is a huge one a huge father projection yeah. screen father of his, his people. George Washington father of our country and right. uh, and honestly we live in a time and a culture that's got a lot of emotional baggage where daddy's concerned right mm -hmm. and maybe failings of our father or perceived failings of our fathers but there's a lot of this going on I mean even when a leader I think I'm going to avoid, you know, uh, any kind of policy discussions and, and therefore those kind of specific politics. But I've always said that I thought at the very least uh, President Obama's legacy would involve, if nothing else, it would involve two not insignificant accomplishments. One is restoring a certain level of intellectual curiosity to the office. He seems to have an interest in what is going on. Yes. Uh, as a human being, an intellectual curiosity, that's refreshing. Um, from what we've what we've had going back, actually, I think decades. Uh, the other thing is he has restored a certain level of dignity yes. to the office. Yeah. That very dignity has angered people, you know, who who want to characterize it as something. And when that happens, I realize, well, you know, like, why is he not getting mad? Or why is he getting mad? Or why is he, you know? And it's like, wow, all we're doing is talking about our own emotional material, and we're projecting it yeah. onto this person. Because it has nothing to do with what he believes or what he is saying from a policy standpoint. It's all about comporting himself with a certain amount of dignity and the way that that can drive people nuts. Sure. So what I think will be interesting and... Uh, a very exciting part of why people might want to listen to uh, Am I Right, Ladies? When, uh, when it comes out is as we see women uh, ascending to levels of leadership in government, quite possibly even being president, 
wow, how, how will that transform the degree to which we as a people treat the office with respect? Because a woman is now holding it. Mm-hmm. Will that change our behavior towards I, the office? I think it will. I mean, I, I, the, other, the third thing that he's brought to it is diversity. He's the first non-white old man right. who's held that office. Right. I, and I, and I, I, think, I think that's changed things in ways that we're only, we not even be aware of. I might even cut this part out just because I came up with this idea the other day, listening listening to him on Marin, actually, because they were talking, he went on the show days after that church shooting in South Carolina. Yes. And it struck me that these shootings, these uprisings, these black and white issues have come to the fore, I think, in part because he is the president. And there, there, there's these frustrations of, I can't get to that guy in the White House, but I can get to those people in that church. I can get to, you know... Well, uh, also, it's as there is change and as there is progress, there is also going to be fear of losing control of things changing, yes, of deaths. Yes, absolutely. So, of course, this is going to come to a fore. It, you know, uh, Suli McCullough, the wonderful comedian and actor and writer, was a guest on our show, and Suli and I grew up together. Suli is black. I am not. And uh, it never occurred to me that there was really a difference between us when we were growing up until one day uh, how the police were treating us when they were ushering me to safety and putting him face down on the street uh, made me realize we're different. And, you know, that introduced the serpent into the particular garden of Eden that was our friendship. And so from that point on, I can't look at my friend and not realize that we're we're different. Mm. And so I had him on the show to talk about the last time, I think it was probably after, was it the Baltimore incident? Yes. Uh, You know, and and just talking about this, because I really had to ask him, are we worse than we were decades ago? Has it really got, because sometimes it feels that way, that we're worse, but of course it does because in some ways we are better. Mm -hmm. Well, because there's there's more contrast. There's more contrast. There's more contrast. When that event happened, it's like, Wow, that doesn't happen very often, and it used to happen all the time. And so, so I think you're right. I mean, I don't give bringing diversity to the office. I don't give him credit for as part of his legacy. No, I actually. But it's it's like I it's him, like it's like Jackie Robinson breaking the barrier in baseball. Right, but again, he deserves the credit. And this is where I will go recently. The way that uh, the president has spoken about the events in Charleston and has spoken about race relations has been truly taking a leadership position. Yes. He has become uh, a, a, spokes, uh, a spokesman, he is a statesman, when at times I've always uh, felt of him more of a functionary rather than a visionary. No, he's more like a college professor. A mid-level manager. <laughs> uh, but he, but he, he, he elevated to statesman status mm. when, when, when talking about these recent events, and that is credit to his legacy and something. that he brought to the office, that, I think, is something that is a an accomplishment on our part, the electorate. Oh, absolutely. Because how amazing that we became the first democracy absolutely. to elect a minority candidate 
the first, yeah. right? The first ever yep. democracy to do that. Yeah. Um, and that's, hey, yay for us. Yay, yay for us. <laughs> and in no small, small part because the Bush administration was so hellish. I think people, I think so many people were driven to feeling such utter despair that mm. they they needed somebody, they needed a really, really drastic change. Really. Particularly given the, the choices that were given. Well, that's it. It was kind of a perfect storm. I mean, I, yeah. I am one who ascribes to the, the, the belief that uh, when the Obama campaign launched, uh, which would have been, what, 2006, prior to 2008 election, yeah. that they did not have it in mind that they would win. No, that I don't this think was they did. to position for a run down the road. Because first of all, the idea that you could beat the Clinton machine right. was, uh, you know, foolhardy. Right. And so, uh, but it really was this perfect confluence of events and uh, of, of opportunity, uh, especially given the alternative. You know, I've I've told this before. My my parents are very very uh, conservative. Uh, they're 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 old, and where they live, it's actually a law in Central California that you have to have not only Fox News on 24 hours a day, but on two televisions, one room apart, blaring at full blast. And uh, and my mother. Uh, she would hate this because she, she really, there's no one she likes less on this planet than President Obama, so she would hate me revealing this. Does she listen to the Succotash? <laughs> of course she does. Course. She's got two ears and a heart, so of course <laughs> she listens to Succotash. But she voted for uh, Obama. Really? And uh, because uh, she just, she said uh, that no one who's undergone torture, the kind that McCain did, yeah, should ever be in that position of authority because you just have no idea when the PTSD is going to affect. Oh, I thought you meant the torture someone. of having to be forced to run with Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin. <laughs> no, that might in fact have been an example of the PTSD. Boy, this has become the most. Has ever been this? Well, this is the most. Course. This is the most political we've ever no, been. No, really. On, so yes. Even with uh, with Rick Overton. Oh, he never got political. Not really. Really? No, no, not not with all the you know the GMOs and stuff floating around. He more about that sort of thing. Oh, so he got conspiratorial. Yes. Okay. Well, he doesn't get conspiratorial. He is, he is conspiratorial. Right. Right. He doesn't wear a tinfoil hat. He is he a tinfoil hat. A tinfoil. <laughs> <laughs> he actually was uh, texting me for advice uh, the last two days because he's performing as an officiant as his very first wedding. This oh. weekend, and me being a veteran of seven weddings, I was able to give him some uh, some. So do you? Notes. So do you have PTSD as a veteran of seven <laughs> weddings? Do you incorporate your comedy when you officiate? Weddings? I do. I what do. do you like? So what are some of your bits? Well, it's not so much bits. It's it's the way I construct my ceremony. Is I, I believe you have to get some laughs from the audience, uh -huh. and you have to get some tears from the audience as a wedding. So what uh -huh. I do is I construct my ceremony. I get a lot of information from the bride and groom, and what I call it is I roast the groom and celebrate the bride because uh -huh. the groom can take the heat. Yeah, and the, the bride really needs to be kind of put up on that pedestal, I think, uh -huh. right? Yeah. So, and it's worked every time like a charm. It's nice. fantastic. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's a great formula. <laughs> I can't believe none of these uh, have ended up in podcast form. So far, no one's asked me to perform a podcast wedding. But, well, I mean, uh, but well, aren't you recording these? No, no, they never get recorded. And I, I don't think if you're not, it's sort of like recording improv. If you're not in the room when it happens, 
doesn't have the same spark. Really? You know, because Dean's been doing that pretty much every show. For I can tell. A decade. He, yeah. he records the improv and then he sells the DVDs of the show. <laughs> Would he sell them if he wasn't famous? Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Would he be famous if he didn't sell them? Never mind. I got That's again, Schrodinger's cat. Just which, which is true. They're both true until you open the box. There really is only one way to skin Schrodinger. <laughs> no, there's two ways. That's why he's Schrodinger's cat. Is the cat skinned or isn't it skinned? <laughs> and on that note, I, I think... Have you, been watch, have you been watching Silicon Valley? Did you watch season two? Love Silicon, Silicon Valley. Valley. We love it. It's of course fantastic. we do. Yeah. Uh, but this season, uh, there there was one part where they, they took this, what, I, what we thought was a misstep that did not feel... Uh, appropriate to the characters and it was all about Schrodinger's cat there's an episode yes. where they have to explain it to someone who most certainly would have known yeah, yeah right you, you know what I'm yes. talking about yes yeah, of exactly. course he would know of course it was all a uh, it was all a conceit it was a cheat to explain to the audience because the yes. audience might not know exactly and oh man that that it, that's interesting yeah I felt that too when you know, that came up I go that's Weird. They could have found somebody who wouldn't have known. Yeah. Like explaining it to the the to house the, boy, the Asian house boy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Somebody <laughs> or the, the, some weird neighbor or something. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Or if Gavin Belson didn't know, that would have been actually. Funny. That's true. That's true. Or or the the the, the rich guy who was. Uh, oh, their, he totally oh, wouldn't he know. Wouldn't that know. would have been yeah. great. Mark, yeah. Peter Gregory. Is dead. Oh my God. <laughs> but all in all, that show is a, is so brilliant. It really is. It's top uh, notch for what it is. It's uh, it, it's very entertaining. Yeah. What other comedy shows are you recommending these days? That's a good question. There's not a whole lot I can think of comedy shows. We the Veep is another show that uh, we think gets better and better. And uh, I have to binge watch it. I've not watched it. This season added uh, full time to the cast. Diedrich Bader, who oh, had yeah, done some recurring yeah, before. Oh, unbelievable! It really watching it now. It's like watching an all star game. Really, you know, it, uh, with everyone caring and playing at their best. Yeah. And passing the ball, or like the or the dream team. Yeah. That's what it's more, I guess, because all star games tend to actually be pretty boring and sloppy. Yeah. But when 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 the original dream team of basketball players, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, etc., you know, there was something fun about watching it. Not that they were killing Angola by eighty yeah. or whatever, but it was because they were playing the beautiful game yeah, beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the cast of Deep now. Yeah. Uh, Hugh Laurie joined the cast. Oh, really? Full time this Did season. Did not know that. Love uh, Hugh Laurie. And people um, didn't even know he's a comic, by the way, in this country when he did House. Wow. They didn't know, you know, his history is comedy, and people didn't know. And they don't know that he has any history uh, as an actor uh, if they see him in Tomorrowland. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon. Have you seen uh, Workaholics on Comedy Central? That show leaves me feeling skeezy. It, but it's it's been on for four seasons, and it, it, I'm sorry, it's funny. I have not. I, mean, I don't even know if I know chance. it. I don't even know if it's, I know it. It's three Do you ever watch Modern Family? Yeah, yeah I, I do. The guy who plays the Manny on there uh-huh. is one of the leads on huh. Workaholics, and it's these three dudes that work in cubicles together at some company that does something. You never find out what. And they're complete stoners and complete fuck-ups, and... You know, it's just, I mean, it's uh, its put together by five or six guys, uh, and 
Uh, in fact, you know Michael Pritchard, that, that name, the San Francisco comic yeah. Michael Pritchard? His yeah. son Connor is one of the guys who developed the show. Oh. And it's, it is, to me, it's very consistently funny. Uh, and they actually have some, some very sort of strong, funny, balls of women characters in that. Their boss is constantly kicking them in the nuts. Oh, yeah. Intellectually. Yeah, she's good. Constantly. Yeah. Which is hilarious. Um, but that's, yeah, that was an unexpected surprise. I started re-watching it because I'd watched a couple episodes. Now I'm watching it from the beginning. And it's pretty consistently funny. So there's do you there's, like Amy Schumer's show? I do. I do. Did you see that 12 Angry Man? Men? Send up she did? Oh no, I wanted to. Oh, That's the whole reason I started watching it. Could, I wanted to see that episode. Is she pretty enough to be on TV? Is Isn't she pretty that enough? That to be, it's 12 guys, yeah. and it's a black and white send up yeah. of 12 angry men in a jury room trying to decide whether Amy, Amy Schumer is yeah. pretty enough to be on television. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Uh, I saw this, and maybe we'll end it here because it, it ties it back to podcasting, but I, I have not been watching Saturday Night Live uh, in, in many, many, no, I many, mean, many, 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 years yeah um uh because i'm on the wrong side of 21 <laughs> but uh, uh i did catch the other night a few minutes of a rebroadcast of the christmas show from last oh. year and there was a fantastic send-up of cereal yes i saw that they with hilarious the plot, with the plot of miracle on 34th street hilarious and actually really well done and uh the i don't know if ever a podcast has been parodied in something that has to, tr you know, Saturday Night Live and sketch shows like this rely on their their parodies being something that everyone can know about. Culturally significant. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at least that you're aware of, even if you haven't been watching it. Yeah. And a podcast... Uh, became that I thought was a was an interesting yeah, watershed and, you know, moment. And, and podcasting has been finding its way into the other mediums. You know, Kevin Smith's latest movie, uh, Tusk. Yeah, with, with Justin Long, where he he, he gets captured by this si mad scientist. He's a podcaster, and he's trying to track down this urban legend, basically. Well, we used to get this. Dean and I used to get this question when we were uh, traveling around promoting Truth Is Out There. So we were halfway through our podcast run, now now in our ninth year, so this was several years ago, and people would sometimes ask, do you uh, do the podcast to promote your movies, or do you do your movies to promote your podcast? And I used to kind of laugh at that joke, uh, or I, I laughed at it as if it was a joke, right. because it always, uh, you know, I wanted to kind of say, why, you know... Why does promotion have to have anything to do with it? Yeah. As opposed to, no, we're doing what we want to be doing. That's right. But I actually do believe Kevin Smith makes movies to, to keep the podcast viable. I, well, now that he's become, I mean, in his mind, and what he said is he's a podcaster now. He's no longer a film director. Well, what what is his hat? It's that Kevin Smith yes. or whatever. Yeah. The billboards, the marquees for Tusk were the new film from hashtag that, that Kevin, Kevin Smith. Smith. Or yeah. at that Kevin Smith. Yeah. It was his Twitter handle. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Uh, so, Lily, when does uh, when did your show break? We're going to have one more sub-in for Dean and Phil. Uh, your ch Chill Pack Hollywood Hour is going to be next week, or the week of July. What is What will that be? What's July? 
when will this air, Mark Hirshen? I always hate these conversations. Edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to edit this out. I, it'll probably air this next week, because like I said, I'm having trouble getting all, all my right. clips together. So. so yeah, the week of July 20th. 18th. Ju- Monday, July 20th, uh, the final episode where Lily and Karen guest host Chalkback okay. Hollywood Hour will drop. Yes. And uh, then we'll make an announcement of where and when. Uh. People can find Am I Right Lady shortly thereafter. You know, there will probably be a Facebook page created sure. that people I, can like. I would imagine. And sure. probably, they'll probably uh, be able to review and and, and uh, a comment on yeah. iTunes, Uh-oh. I imagine. And I would imagine that... <laughs> Thumbs up on Stitcher. The show, much like Chill Pack Hollywood Hour, uh, the show uh, will be hosted by Blog Talk Radio. Wow. Wow. Amazing predictive qualities. Yeah. And, wow. And when do you anticipate that you and Dean will be back on on real time, let's say, with Chill Pack? Well, Monday, uh, this the show uh, oh, the thirteenth came through town. It's pretty darn near. Close. Although we recorded it uh, too early to be able to uh, comfort each other over the sad loss of Omar Sharif, oh. who taught me everything I know about card playing. <laughs> uh, and let me ask you this, uh, yes. since you put, uh, you know, put me on the spot yes. with the who would I want to interview, yep. and I hadn't thought about it at all. Think quick, smart guy. Name the second most famous Egyptian actor. Yeah, it's tough. It's no, really, I thought really you were going to ask him who he would want to interview. <laughs> no. <laughs> See, no. I want to know. No, I, I no, know. I'd much rather ask him a question that cannot be answered. <laughs> <laughs> Jackie, Ro- Jackie Robinson. I mean, you've always known, all our lives, we've always known Omar Sharif is Egyptian. That's right. I can't name another I one. Can't. I mean, it's, and my, and I love the Egyptian people. Interesting. So, Jackie Robinson. No, no, no. no? I can't name an Egyptian actor. I'm sorry. I don't oh. know. <laughs> I don't know. The, so, guy, the guy who played the mummy, was he actually Egyptian? I don't know. Uh, Boris Karloff? No, 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 no. The, you know, the remake. Arnold Vosloo? Yes. Is he Egyptian? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Oh, they're coming well, to take us Yes, away. they are. And so I guess, I guess that's going to do the it for this. politically correct police are here. Yep. It's time to say goodbye from Suckatash. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Lily. Thank, Thank you, Mark. And thanks for passing that Suckatash. Thanks again to Phil and Lily for their hospitality. Be sure to catch the Chill Pack Hollywood Hour. Their home site is chillpackhollywood.com. And you can find them at Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever fine podcasts are downloaded and or streamed. Also, be sure to keep an ear out for Lily's new podcast, Am I Right, Ladies? Uh, not sure exactly when that's going to drop, but it seems like it's coming along fairly soon. Plus, they're doing a, uh, she and her co-host Karen are doing a, another fill-in for Phil and Dean over at the Chill Pack Hollywood Hour. Also, I just recorded a part as a gas station attendant in a commercial for Empire State Gas, the official sponsor of the Chill Pack Hollywood Hour, so be listening for that on their show. This is Travis Clark. And Brandy Clark. From Tiny, Tiny Odd Conversations. Conversations. And you're listening to Suckatash. The comedy podcast podcast. Well done. Let's get to our second burst of dursts. Apologies to Will for getting to these uh, segments in this show so late, but... Can it really ever be that late to celebrate the birth of our country or the United States of America for those listening beyond our shores and borders? Hey, guys. 
Will Durst here to talk about the 4th of July. Undeniably dead solid summer. A red, white, and blue arrow to the bullseye of patriotism when we celebrate the anniversary of the birth of our country by drinking a lot of beer and blowing stuff up real good. That's the thing about summer. It's loud. Fireworks and motorcycles and outdoor concerts and the high-pitched shrieks of kids in pools or passengers at the gates of overbooked flights. And summer heightens the other senses as well. Lemonade so tart it makes your tonsils pucker. Eating corn on the cob and feeling the butter slide right down your arm to drip off your elbow. Sand getting caught in the pasty colored folds of flesh the layers of winter clothing have masked for eight months. Summer is also the tinny mantra of a baseball game, squawking out of a speaker of an AM radio while barefoot at a barbecue eating potato salad that's been left out in the sun all day, sweating like a stuck pig and waving brooms at mosquitoes the size of footstools. And summer is supposed to be fun, which can cause a kind of frenzy of anxiety as we become so determined to have a good time we're forced to take a vacation to recover from our vacation. Meteorologists say that summer begins at the solstice, which is defined by when the sun takes its most northerly path across the sky, from the Latin for stand still. Well, that may be the astronomical beginning of summer in the northern hemisphere, but summer is less of a fixed date and more of a state of mind, one that begins when the bell rings for the last class on the final day of school, and runs until the sun sets the night before the fall semester begins. Happy 239th birthday, America. You know what? In the right light, you don't look a day over 225. For Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast, I'm Will Durst. Will Durst remains lying in wait for you at willdurst.com, so watch out. All right, just enough time left to take a quick peek into the tweet sack, and... There's not a whole lot in here. Oh, well. Never mind. Maybe next time we'll have another edition of Succotash Clips. <sighs> Don't forget to pass the Succotash. Or not. Whatever. Do your thing, Bill Haywatt, and get us out of here. You've been listening to Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast with your host, Mark Hershon. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants and... Imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuckatashShow.com, on iTunes, on Stitcher Smart Radio, and on SoundCloud. You can also hear us streaming and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Suckatash Show. Email us at MA. RC at SuckatashShow.com Or call into the Suckatash hotline at our non-toll-free call number 818-921-7212 The number again is 818-921-7212 Suckatash is produced and engineered with the kind assistance of Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, home of the hit. Our associate producer is Tyson Saner. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durges. Until next time, I am your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please pass the succotash. Goodbye.